0: It was about 1.15 in the morning. Only a few of us were left at the cast party following a successful community theater run of Little Shop of Horrors. We spent the time drinking pop, listening to music and talking, but then the director whose house we were at said, go home, party's over. I think about that party when I read this text, except, Our party was just the harmless fun of a few teenagers, a few theater kids. The party in Revelation 18 is built on the raw, temporary, exploitative power of Babylon. And for John, who is the visionary of Revelation, Babylon is none other than the city of Rome and its empire, the epitome of human resistance to the gospel. Pastor Raul, who's here, and I had a little discussion before. Are you going to tell them who Babylon is? Well, it's Rome. At least to John, it was Rome. But Rome isn't around anymore, at least not in the way it once was. And let's face it, while... the And, and this text, let's face it, uses language that we probably find offensive today. Babylon, a.k.a. Rome, is described as a prostitute, while the city of God slash the church is described as the bride of the lamb. It's a very dualistic, either this or that, very black or white model of the feminine, which doesn't correspond to flesh and blood human beings. So let's get that out of the way first. But if we can peer beneath the metaphors, we might get a glimpse of what this text might be saying to us today. We only need to read the few verses of chapter 18 to see what the essence of the Roman system is. The grief of the kings and merchants over Rome's fall give us a clue. The kings engaged in sexual immorality and lived in luxury with Rome. In other words, setting aside the poetic language, powerful men decided to use Rome For their own purposes. They decided to sell out their own people for the rewards, financial and political, that they could get. They thought they knew a winner when they saw it. And as for the merchants, the reason for their lament is more straightforward. They can't make money like they once did. And this money wasn't earned honestly, but came from the nations that Rome subjected. All these cargoes involved human labor, almost certainly people who were exploited to adorn the tables of the privileged, wealthy few of Rome. Yes, this was Rome, which had imposed its will from England to Persia. Rome, which destroyed Jerusalem and burned the temple. Rome, which declared its emperors divine and strong-armed its subjects into worshipping them. Rome, which built its economy on the backs of other people, including slave labor. Rome, which since the first century B.C. had styled itself the Eternal City and believed its empire would last forever. Rome, in which a few people lived in wealth and luxury, while the rest were living in subsistence at best. But the more we look, the more we see that Rome isn't merely a city or even an empire. Rome stands for a way of domination and exploitation that is radically anti-human, anti-creation, and anti-Christ. It is the way of every great power of every age and of those who profit from the systems. And unfortunately for all of us here, it's the way we're all enmeshed in. We're all enmeshed in the ways of Rome. That's what's so hard about this text. We're enmeshed in the ways of empire by doing what we do every day. For example, and I'm sorry to bring up driving a car after you just, you just uh, pointed out that Naomi's rite of passage is that now but even in driving a car, which is a necessity in this part of the country. By driving a car, we contribute in a small way to the deep harm done to people around the world caused by climate change. Madagascar hasn't had rain. That southern part in three years, you said? By investing in our pensions, We share some responsibility for the unjust labor practices and environmental mismanagement that some of those corporations perpetuate. Even by paying our taxes, something Jesus said we should do, and, well, we go to jail. If we don't, we still share in responsibility for what our government does in our name. This isn't to make us feel guilty or bad about ourselves, but it is to point out that we are all guilty. We're truly, in the words of our confession, captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. You see, God has another kind of party in mind, one, another narrative for the human story, but one not built on exploitation, domination, and greed. Rather, God invites all of us all of you, and all of humanity, to join a wedding party. But this party is unlike any other wedding we have been to. Weddings can be fun, but this wedding party is the final union between Christ and his people. Where all creation is made new. Where the old demonic systems that use and abuse people have been swept away. This party is so important and so urgent that God is inviting all kinds of people to take part, even and especially people we might think have no right to be there. God's invitation, after all, is not just for the best among us. God's invitation is not just for the best among us. In fact, if Jesus' parable in Luke is, is any indication, The best of us are often distracted by other things. No, the invitation to God's party is for all kinds of people. All kinds of people. And the God who gives the invitation is the one who, in Christ, gave everything up to be with his people. Now, there isn't much that people like about Ephesians 5 these days with its Instructions for households and how husbands and wives are going to treat, e- are, are to treat each other. So, but there is a, there are a couple of verses in there that mirror the self-giving love of Christ in one of the instructions. So bear with me for a second. It gets to the essence of the love Christ has for the church. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Christ the Lamb gave himself up for you and for me and for all. He did this so we wouldn't be swallowed up by the ways of empire, by the ways of abuse and oppression. Rather, he did this so that we would be changed. We would be made new. So we would be rooted not in the temporary things of this realm of of existence, but in the world to come. And this realm is not mere pie in the sky, but is nothing less than the union of Christ and his people. It is not for this life only, but for eternity. And that's the party that God has invited us all to. When we receive communion, we get a preview of that party a little taste of it, of the eternal union of Christ and people. Lutherans have never believed that, Christ, that communion merely symbolizes Christ's love for us. Rather, Lutherans have always believed that Christ is truly present in the sacrament, that he has promised to be here for us, for you and for me, and that we, when we receive those elements, we receive him, his very presence. So today, come forward and join the party. The old party of domination and oppression is ending, but the new party of God is beginning. Thanks be to God. Amen.